you know, essentially what makes you happy as an individual with your choices that then result in a healthy outcome. I think another way to, you know, term alternative health is, is just rather than alternative, it's just different. Like, it's, it's, it's like getting a different opinion. You, we've lost that thing that, that natural instinct and that drive that has, has stood the test of time that kept us healthy to the point where we're having this conversation right now. Welcome to the Wizard OT podcast. My name is Gavin Symes and I'm a registered occupational therapist who was on a personal and social eternal quest to understand how to best improve the quality of life of every single person imaginable, including myself. And the aim of this podcast is to spread really interesting knowledge and speak to people with a real diverse range of experiences and ways in which to view the world. This episode is with Peter van der Sander Lacoste, and we actually recorded this a little while ago, but it goes into holistic health, nutrition, how to keep your musculoskeletal system, if you know what that is, healthy. And I think it's pretty apt because this is a new year and many people have new year's resolutions and we go to some really interesting lifestyle related things that you can do to improve your health and well-being physically and mentally. So anyway, let's jump into the interview. Okay, so this is recording in progress. So let's start this free flow. So like I've said in the introduction, um, I'm talking today with Peter van der Sander Lacoste. And I, I'm sure I've got your surname right. You just confirmed that. And we're going to talk about a wide variety of things. But Peter, um, one thing, I, well, how's your day going so far? I guess would be a nice starter. Yeah. Hey, it's been a great day. Thank you. How about yours? Yeah, pretty good for a Monday. Not too bad. But I think you and I, we kind of have morphed our lives so that we don't necessarily have the Sunday night fears of going to a job that we hate. No, no. I mean, you know, I'm, I think you're the same. I, I don't work and I, I do what I love and love what I do. So every day is just uh, another day, really, whether it's a public holiday or whatever, and just love life. Yeah. So that's well, really... well watered and well fed. So I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, well fed, well watered. Well, just to give people an insight, and I know this isn't an Instagram story, just about what someone's had for lunch, but. What did you when you said well fed and well watered? What have you what have you eaten today? So today was so if you want the, the full details or just a go for it, brief. go for it. So I'll get the pan going first up, and then there's a little bit of well, obviously there's some oil in the pan uh, first, some ghee and coconut oil, and then there'll be some black pepper with some freshly grated turmeric. Mm-hmm. And then there's some uh, onion and shallot and uh, a bit of garlic and then had chicken thigh fillets that were uh, skin side down on that. And then once they were basically cooked, I threw the cauliflower in and chopped up the chicken and then they just uh, had a sauna together and <laughs> done. Mm, that sounds delicious. I had um because i've been outside doing some gardening wanted to get outside get a bit of sunlight around the middle of the day ish i had a very quick lunch it was i think it's barbell 
I can't remember what they're called. Barbell. They do the beef jerky. Oh, the jerky? Yeah. yeah so, right. but I but I've got some of their meat sticks, which I really oh, like. Oh yeah, so, I like them. Yeah. They're good. Um, so it's uh, grass-fed meat and wild kangaroo meat, and I had that, and oh, and I had some um, some sauerkraut, some beetroot sauerkraut in the fridge. So I had a few um, forkfuls of that. A big, massive glass of water with some of that element stuff. I don't know if you've heard of element, L-M-N-T, which is the sodium. I think I have, yeah, as a powder or? Yeah, it's like a sodium, potassium, magnesium powder thing. And I had that before this, and I'm feeling pretty energized. So that's And good. on the on the sauerkraut note, you reminded me I had, uh, yeah, kraut in the salad as well. That was the other part mm. of the lunch. Now, if anyone's listening to this, and this might be the first episode of this podcast, and I'm not going to say the title because this is still when I'm recording 10 episodes before I even put any of them out. But if this is the first episode of this podcast that you've heard, you might be wondering why we're talking about what we're eating and the quality of it. Now, one of the reasons, Peter, other than just to catch up and say hello, um, was to get you on today's podcast to talk about what holistic health is, because I think there's still a lot of I say still, there is a hell of a lot of confusion and or misinformation about what real holistic health, physical, mental, emotional, social really is. And I guess the reason why I wanted to pick apart what we've both eaten is both of both of us have eaten a very nutritious, nutrient dense meal. Now, why is nutrition <laughs> I know you're going to be like, well, where do I even start with this subject? But why is nutrition important for physical and mental health? I think firstly, as you essentially alluded to, I think holistic health is one of those things that have become a bit of a buzzword that has also been bashed around and uh, watered down a little bit. So I guess it's like paleo too, right? There's sort of a spectrum of depending on who you talk to, whether it's low meat, moderate meat, high meat. Um, whereas my understanding of the true paleo diet is it's it's sort of low to moderate meat. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of people tend to eat on the carnival spectrum of paleo and still call that paleo. So I think there's a lot of confusion out there. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's semantics, I think, with those things. And, you know, if you're getting into conversations, I think it's important first to define what you're talking about and, you know, the parameters of macronutrient ratios or whatever. Though, yeah, for me, holistic health, and, and again, this is where it's quite variable too, I feel, is that it's quite a subjective thing as well because, you know, your lifestyle, my lifestyle is is right for you and I, but not necessarily for someone else. Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I don't have kids as yet. Um, you know, we live in different, so, you know, there's, there's so many different factors that make up our life to be different or any other individual to be different that, what's right for one person is not necessarily right for another. But I think the parameters around holistic health are quite central based on, you know, essentially what makes you happy as an individual with your choices that then result in a healthy outcome. Because, you know, there's not, there's never one diet that fits every single person on earth. And I think that's why there's a lot of debate and confusion around things like diet and why there's so many diet philosophies or diet books, because, there isn't one size that fits all. So, you know, people are endlessly debating, but I think the central theme is missed that we're all different individuals and 
what works for one person doesn't work for another. And I think it's one of those things that if you're not sure, I think, you know, you can start somewhere and experiment and, you know, if it's not working for you, change. Though that can be a bit of a trap too where, you know, for some people they might, they might go vegan or vegetarian just as an example and this isn't a pick. But um, a lot of people when they quit eating meat, they weren't necessarily eating high-quality meat to begin with. Yeah. So if you start cutting out poor quality meat, and when I say poor quality meat, essentially in a nutshell, like if you're not eating organic, you know, humanely raised animals, it's cage fed or, you know, they're in barns and, you know, not fed their natural diet like grass, then, you know, cutting those animals out of your diet, you are going to feel better. Though the trap can be that you you feel better, but then you know, a little while down the track, you're starting to have other issues pop up because of protein deficiency, for example, if you're not doing, you know, vegan or vegetarian correctly with balancing, you know, uh, rice and beans as an example to get, you know, the amino amino acid profile to be complete. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of that context is often thrown out. It's just that, oh, you know, vegan or vegetarian in this example is good, but there's not the context that is brought into it that they weren't eating good quality meat that they then eliminated, you know, with with the transition. And also what was that person eating with the low quality meat as well? It's a bit, it's a bit like I got into a, I'll just say a heated discussion. I try not to argue with people about food because I think that at one point I was very dogmatic and I had a mindset that I thought I knew best or whatever. And it turned out I now think very differently to that. So I always try and avoid actually arguing with people. I just trying to go, okay, there at this point. But having a discussion with a, a new work colleague about her having skin problems through eating meat and I kind of said to her do you think well I mean I said well I'm really pleased that your skin issues have kind of cleared up because most people who have skin issues they don't really equate that to actual nutrition in a lot of ways because a lot of dermatologists don't even mention it I mean I've got a friend actually who's got similar skin issues that I had been getting the last couple of years but there's many reasons as to why went to a dermatologist and they suggested he's allergic to cold. Now, As I... in temperature? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, okay, did they talk to you anything about sleep, diet, you know, general nutrition, how much alcohol you drink, exercise, stress? Oh, no, no, no. She just said I'm allergic to cold. And bear in mind, this person grew up in a very cold part of the world. So I I didn't quite get how that came through on a genetic perspective. But anyway, and I think it can be, you know, that discussion I was saying I had with a former work colleague, it got really heated because I said, oh, do you think maybe there's anything else that was you were eating with that meat that might have contributed to it? And then I start, I got near enough to mentioning things like, highly palatable processed foods and grains and all these things which potentially might have a contributory factor, not the only reason for, but a contributory factor to skin problems. And it was almost as soon as I said that, I didn't even get to those main points. It was like I'd been shut down and I defended her. 
Mm. And it was really hard to then even go near that subject ever again because it became very tribalistic very quickly. Anyway, And just to be clear, you mm. uh, you were referring to the, the skin issue clearing up because she stopped meat? That's what she told me. And right. I said, oh, that's great. But I really wanted to know a bit more about maybe what else she had stopped because personally I don't see myself good quality biodynamically raised you know if anyone's listening to this and wondering what i'm talking about google us this stuff what that difference is to cheap rubbish meat that's from animals that are treated really badly because i and was that was that qualified with her the type of meat she was eating no we didn't get to that point oh i see because it it, it almost there was an instant shutdown of i didn't i was that was going to be our next point of because, again, meat gets vilified in a lot of ways. Anyway, I might just bring this back a second, because the other thing I haven't done yet is we need to tell our listeners, well, we know who you are, Peter van der Sunder Lacoste. I'm just practising saying your surname as many times as possible, which is great. Um, Peter V. <laughs> Peter V, yeah, okay, all right, uh, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but I guess to give people a bit of context, because we've started to dive into holistic health a little bit, but I want to give people who are listening an awareness of, who you are, what you do, um, and kind of what your, I wouldn't even say title. So I guess, how would you describe what you do both for work, but as you said, something that you love doing as well? How would you describe it? Well, the title I've essentially chosen to call myself is a musculoskeletal and holistic health specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people it's becoming more popular or more aware, though I spoke to someone just the other week and they hadn't heard of him, which is Paul Check, who I learned most of my holistic health and exercise from, uh, which is from the Czech Institute, C-H-E-K. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, calling myself a Czech practitioner didn't really, I guess, mean anything to people because, yeah, a lot of people still don't know of him or heard of him. Yeah. So I just chose a title that I guess was more synonymous to what people are used to hearing mm -hmm. and yeah on a day-to-day -day basis it, it, it really depends it's a weird it's a weird thing I, I guess uh, mainly I deal with musculoskeletal issues so mm -hmm. you know back pain neck pain shoulder pain those yeah. sorts of things yeah structural stuff uh, the holistic health and the nutrition to be honest is something that of course, I'm aware of. It's just one of those things that I guess people are more resistant towards changing. Yeah. So for me, it's not something that the way I was taught, which was, you know, to have a big assessment process where you're looking at their diet and things hmm. and doing the physical assessment because, I mean, I've still got uh, some new clients who I gave them because, you know, uh, the, she's wanting to lose weight and he's wanting to lose, you know, a bit of his belly and uh, he snores, so he's wanting to clean up his diet and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm still waiting for their paperwork for seeing where they're at with their nutrition and lifestyle. So, you know, mm. and I've been working with him for just over a month now and, yeah, like there's still, there's still that, um, that slow burn of change for for the things that have been so habitual in their life where, you know, things are, things are not great, but they're okay. And because they're okay, I've got no real reason to do anything about it, but my shoulder, that's a bit more of a thing I need to prioritize. Yeah. So, you know, my point being is that for me, 
the way I work with a lot of people is that if they come in with a shoulder problem or whatever, I will deal with that physically. And to be honest, where it's relevant, I'll get into, you know, talking to them about nutrition because it's not always like, I, I don't see it as a cut and, cut and dry thing or a rule that, you know, if someone's got a shoulder problem that they need to clean up their diet. <laughs> like, I know that I can still do things. I can still get them out of pain without changing their diet. Mm. And, you know, uh, as as we were uh, speaking about before the recording, you know, part of I think the topic for today was uh, stress and that sort of thing. And mm. th- that being the case, I think a lot of people are so stressed nowadays that too much change is, you know, more stressful as well. And I don't want to add stress to their health change. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, their, their change towards better health shouldn't be stressful. And that can be often an issue, isn't it? That with the best intentions as a clinician who thinks quite broadly, and I think I've, you know, I've made this mistake before, but I think I, I, I mean, I was quite, I was fully qualified and quite clinically experienced before I really got my head around what real holistic therapy services whatever you might want to call it actually is but i think i've often i had a background in wanting to make nutrition and exercise and sleep and all those things a part of my life which then when i was doing my qualification as an occupational therapist i was always considering those things because i'd always had that personally as something which i had seen really beneficial to me so I think that you're completely right, though. Not everyone is at that stage where in the first assessment or the first session, they're ready to completely cut out certain types of food to change their sleep. That can actually be a real force which makes someone goes, I don't want this. I, I, I can't do this. because It's just too much. And, and you don't see them again. And then you haven't, you know, you failed to help them at the level that they were ready to. and. Uh, Yeah, the other thing I was going to finish with that little story was that, you know, if I find that if you work with them with what they're wanting and needing, that you develop enough rapport to potentially make the changes later on that then become more sustainable long term rather than try to throw the kitchen sink at them. Mm. And they, they make changes, but it's too overwhelming and it doesn't last. It's just not sustainable to make, you know, 10 changes when they're only ready for one. And the subjective thing is, is that change takes a fair, it takes a while, like physically, mentally, taking change. Okay, there's quite simple things you can do to make quite literally the cells in your body and the way they all interact and work together change. However, (laughs) it takes some time. And a lot of people are still in the medical model. So they see pain as damage or pain as a sign that something's broken and if you're asking someone to cure their pain or whatever it's not really a cure but a fix their pain and they've changed their diet and then suddenly they have some pain they will probably think why the f word have i changed my diet and i'm still getting pain because there's still often i think for a lot of people that equation between if i make this change it will never come back mm. Because I had that this morning, actually. I I mean, I've changed my lifestyle so much in the last few years, even more than before the, the, the COVID era, whatever we want to call it. 
And this morning when I was doing some artwork on a, I was doing a big mural project, I got some serious stabbing lower back pain. And I was like, oh, I haven't had this for a while. But because a lot of the stuff that I've learned about pain science and pain science education, I kind of greeted it with, a, oh, hello, haven't seen you for a while. Uh, you're trying to tell me something, aren't you? Almost having a different approach to the, the sensation. It was really intense. It was like someone shoving like a scalpel into my lower back. That doesn't sound pleasant. No, but you know what I did? I thought, don't worry. Cognitively, I thought, it's all right. It will go away. Even if it hurts, you're probably not going to die. Hopefully not. Carried on doing the painting, did some light breath work, carried on moving, hydrated, and now it's fine. Now, and, and you know what, what you've highlighted there, I think, is a really good point to further to what I was just saying too. Mm -hmm. Where you know people that I'll see who have got a pain or you know their musculoskeletal problem is causing pain, mm -hmm. often that can be enough to m make them shift into the fight or flight part of their brain, which is the you know the brainstem. Yeah. And as you said, you had the cognitive ability, which is the forebrain, the the human part of us to do breath work and to hydrate and do all these other things. And when, when someone's coming in and they're in fight or flight with their pain, to then say, hey, you need to change, you know, what water you drink and the food you're eating, they haven't got the ability to go through that process of change and, and, and problem solving their life around where do I shop now, even though you might tell them, because they're, they're in that reactive fight or flight stage that you need to address first. And it's going back to, you know, giving them what they need in terms of dealing with their immediate threat and, and you know, from a brain point of view. And then and then getting them back into the ability to then have have the ability to cognitively think their way out of it, as you were just saying, and have solutions that they can then have the ability to not not just react to, but mm. think through. Yeah, exactly. And that's so much of the I mean, I, I got really back deeply into David Butler and Laura Mosley's work recently after I listened to a really good podcast. I think I might have sent it to you. The Align podcast is Aaron Alexander. He actually interviewed uh, Laura Mosley. So if anyone who doesn't know who Laura Mosley and David Butler are, I'm pretty sure they're, yeah, they're physiotherapists, but also neuroscientists who have kind of changed the world's understanding of pain. They're really important people in that space and yeah doing great work yeah and it was and it just reignited in my mind how you know I was going through chronic persistent pain for so long and I had nobody giving me any solid advice about what might be contributing to it and I think that I think it was a Lorimer Mosley uh, YouTube thing, Taming the Beast, which I often will show to people if I feel that they are ready for it, because I do quite a lot of work with people with chronic persistent pain from an occupational therapy perspective. And finding that information and finding, you know, that, oh, it might not be I'm completely screwed is great. <laughs> it's really great. And I think it's really powerful for people because pain is obviously pain can become someone's self-identity unfortunately exactly. yeah and i'm working with a lot of people at the moment who have been bounced from pillar to post specialist to specialist to specialist to specialist to surgery to surgery to specialist and they're still in pain 
The biggest thing that we've got, though, is that trying to even even have a slight suggestion that it may not be structural damage of the most heinous kind is actually quite activating for people. And you can clarify this. Uh, Butler and Co. are very big on not identifying the pathology label to the client yeah, because they don't want them to attach to a, a disc bulge or a whatever, even though that may be the case, because then they do attach identity to that pathology. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It, it's more that, you know, hey, your body's giving you some feedback, as you were saying for yourself earlier. Mm. And one of the things which I heard a podcast with David Butler, and it was, a, it was, a, they just sound, you know, the kind of people here you'd love to meet. David Butler and Laura Mosley, they might not be great in person, but they come across as just great people to meet. And it, it was a podcast with David Butler, and he was talking about how when he would actually, because I'm, I'm pretty sure they're both in practice. I'm pretty sure they're those amazing, you know, the people that are like top level neuroscientists, but still in practice, still in the trenches as such. And he was saying that one thing that David, well, I think I'm sure Laura Mosley does this as well, but David Butler was saying that if he has a client who will be getting, or a patient or a human being, whatever term we want to use. I think the example he gave was someone who every now and again, their knee would just swell up, like really intently swell up and be really hard to go into flexion or extension, actually be quite almost like a little burning heat, uh, sorry, burning, like a heat or burning pain. Okay. One of the things which he introduced was trying to get this person, um, I think it was a lady, to celebrate now anyone who's listening to this that's had chronic persistent pain or just pain in general be like what are you talking about but hold with me that to celebrate and go, wow how amazing is that how amazing is this defense system in my body how amazing is that thank you for being almost like thanking and changing the mental and physical dialogue because as soon as and this is what i'm assuming here please anyone contact me and correct me i would assume that then seeing it or seeing the sensation as something of interest or something which is almost another entity within itself would then actually be you be using your prefrontal cortex part of your brain rather than it being, like we've mentioned, a limbic system. So, you know, I won't go into the deep depths of the limbic system, but a stress response. And I just found that absolutely beautiful. I really liked the way he described it. Whereas, you know, I think the allopathic model in most countries is that if pain comes about, we need to shut it off. Yeah. Or don't move. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't move. Don't move and take these drugs. Take these drugs. What could possibly go wrong with really strong painkillers? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? So... <laughs> And anyone that's listening to this, maybe a physio, OT, just a general human being, really check out. I'll put some links in the show notes to um, David Butler and Lorimer Mosley's work. I actually bought two of the, I bought Painful Yarns, which is a really interesting one by Lorimer Mosley. It's just a little sub book. And uh, I can't remember what the other one was called. It's about two meters away from me, but I can't remember. But I'll put a thing in the show notes. And that's all about working with people working through with people using their protectometer danger in me safety in me kind of frame does so, that explain pain yeah well there's you know what one sec i'm actually going to grab it off the bookshelf because i've just said that hang on 
<coughs> where are you? There you go. <coughs> Thankfully, I can put these on a tax write-off, which is great. I probably shouldn't include that in the podcast, but it's great having <laughs> the ability to do that. So it's that one's not explained. Oh, actually, no, you're right. No, it is. The title is of this one is the Explain Pain Handbook Protectometer. Uh, okay. And uh, I, it's for people to use to translate the information and explain pain and then the clinician's ver version, which is explain pain supercharged, mm. um, actually then using it. So it has some really beautiful. One thing I really do like about their work is that it's a lot of metaphor um, and story, which there's so much evidence about how powerful that is to understand things through metaphor and story to reduce the sympathetic and or limbic system consideration of things like pain. And it actually is, is instead of with all, all these big medical or, or yeah. uh, anatomical words. Yeah. And also scan after scan after scan, which might find something which might not find something people being given combinations of medications that are just mind bending. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you have this in your kind of in your world? Because um, I guess oh, I'll just ask the question. I won't explain why I think you might not. But do you have it where people come to you? Oh, I guess you will, actually, where they're just on tons of different meds. Not really. Mm. OK. No, I, I, I don't I don't attract those kind of people for whatever reason. Um I, I guess going back to the start of the conversation mm. with the, you know, the discussion about defining holistic, yeah, which I don't, I'm not sure if I did in the end, or, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of those people are already in the alternative, quote unquote, space. Uh, yeah. You know, wh whether it's an integrative GP that refers them, and mm. you know, they're, they're already working on nutrition and you know, IV drips and you know, the, some of the more natural approaches to. Mm things and they're not on those drugs uh or or yeah they're, they're just they've been on that road and they've they've chucked that that approach away and they're looking for alternatives and i, I tend to pop up on their radar i guess and mm. yeah i honestly don't see them with with lists of medications which is which is nice because <laughs> i great, think that, great, yeah. great for them yeah which is great I mean, I'm at the other end of the stick, I think, on that is that <laughs> through my work as an occupational therapist, and I'm often working with people who have NDIS. So anyone that's from abroad, uh, abroad, from outside of Australia, that's the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Now, there's benefits to that. And there's also real negatives because it's one of the biggest health care reforms in Australia since they brought in what's called Medicare. And yeah, there's yeah. If you're interested in knowing more about the NDIS, I best, bet most people aren't go and look it up or I might do a future episode with someone who's deep into the NDIS work but I guess I'm often asked to work with people who haven't really had you know you talked about an integrative integrative GP you know this is the one thing I come across because I I mean what area of I know what area you're in but can you tell the listeners what area of um in Sydney? Australia. Yeah, because you're in Sydney, Australia. What area? Are you? In Sydney, Australia, in Bondi, uh, Bondi Beach. Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know Sydney or doesn't, I mean, Bondi is quite world famous, isn't it? Because of Bondi Beach Rescue, that program. Yeah. But that doesn't really give an overview. How, how would you, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here. 
What would you describe no. the area of Bondi like now? Because it's changed a fair bit because actually my mother-in-law, um, rest her soul, uh, actually grew up in Bondi and it's changed a lot. How would you describe the Bondi area kind of now in Sydney? Well, I mean, if no one's picked it, I was born and raised in New Zealand. So I've been in Sydney since the uh, end of 2005. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I've never really vibed Bondi. It's, mm. it's, it's not really been my place. And I've only just uh, recently moved. It's going to be two years coming up uh, in Bondi from where I was previously uh, because the, the place was getting demoed and we had to move. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I, I, I go there to work and then I, I come back. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I just don't really vibe with Bondi. So I don't have a lot to say about it, to be honest. Because uh, get- not, not that I'm saying anything negative. It's just, mm. it's just, you know, you just, I guess you just vibe with some places and not others. So because what I was yeah, just going to explain to the listeners um, is that. I guess the reason as to why there might be a bit more of kind of an awareness of more the integrative, holistic style thing is I would probably describe the Bondi-ish sort of area now as quite affluent now in comparison to a lot of areas of Sydney. So I guess oh, that's... very much so. Yeah, which I... Because, you know, I I'm, I probably have mentioned this, you know, I when I was living in Sydney, I would be going out as far as places that were really not affluent, you know, um, St. Mary's, uh, no offense if anyone's from St. Mary's, but you know, all these areas, places like Mount Druitt, um, Penrith, really kind of far out kind of suburbs where finding someone who's an integrative therapist, finding someone who's a holistic therapist, finding a GP who's a functional medicine GP or whatever is so rare. And that's the reason why I'm mentioning this, not to then point fingers at <laughs> Bondi and go, Bondi is full of rich people is to say that one of the things which I find so it's almost like I feel like it's my cause but again I've got to deal with every one day you know one day at a time is I really wish that I could bring this holistic more broad understanding of what health physical and mental health actually is to like the much wider communities because there's still such a limited access to people knowing what they can do themselves and often the allopathic medical model is all that they have in the areas you know i now live in sunshine in melbourne and traditionally you know it used to be nicknamed scumshine or gunshine it's changing quite a lot now i'm one of the gentrifiers i'm one of the affluent people i don't know if that <laughs> affluent coming in and changing it but trying to find just as an example organic food closest place it's actually quite a lot closer than when i lived in sydney it's 20 minute drive. So local supermarkets, I mean, some Woolies do. But I think that's one thing which I find really, I hope things can change. And I hope things like this podcast and these discussions and the work that I do and the work that you do, word spreads around, there's alternative ways. And it doesn't have to be alternative because, you know, when something's alternative, it gets kind of chucked into a, a basket of like woo woo, alternative, not evidence based, pseudoscience. You know, that, that's chucked around. People say pseudoscience. And you're like, do you actually really understand what the scientific method is and how there's so much to science anyway? And I think that that's something which I really want to try and make a difference about. And there's many ways I could try. Anyway, that's why I'm going off on a tangent. But um, so if we've talked about nutrition, we've talked about movement. What other things would you consider part of someone's toolbox as such that they can influence 
without having to go on loads of meds or have surgery for their own physical and mental health? You know, what other tools have you, is there in the metaphorical box? Uh, just, just to sort of swing back to that and add on to what you were just saying, that, mm. uh, you know, I think another way to, you know, term alternative health is, mm. is just rather than alternative, it's just different. Like yeah. it's, it's it's like getting a different opinion. It doesn't have to be. I think a lot of people equate alternative to like hippie or something. Mm. Whereas it's just a different viewpoint. It's like okay, if this hasn't been working for you, take a different viewpoint, some different advice, and see how that works for you. The other thing I'd say too is that a lot of these integrative GPs do do you know Zoom and other consults mm. like that. The unfortunate thing, though, for, you know, talking about um, getting out to the wider public is that mm. they're, they're very expensive. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's, that's a result of the system, I think, um, because, you know, they don't get their services covered because they're doing, quote, unquote, alternative services or, or alternative, you know, modalities within what they're doing, like IV drips and all these, you know, vitamins and things. Mm. And, you know, for people who can't afford it, I think, you know, if you just do some, you know, Amazon searching or whatever for, you know, there's some great books out there by doctors and other reputable people who have got great advice that you can, you can get a lot of mileage out of just simply by educating yourself and, and getting into the brains of these people who have put pen to paper and, you know, have, have got a, a blueprint and some guidance there for you, Could whether you it's. Uh, gut health or mm. you know nutrition or whatever the case may be you know just just type in what you're looking for and uh what you're seeking whether it's you know thyroid function or you know there's there's a lot of specialties out there with specialty titles from from doctors who you know have their their focus attention to what it is that you're having a problem with mm. and, and sorry and, could i just uh yeah, sorry uh what were you saying could i just I was, oh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, because there's so, because I often have it where I guess if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm like, oh, that's great. Have you got any maybe, you know, suggestions for a book or a practitioner? Maybe someone could look up. I know this, you're quite like me, you're a real sponge for information. So you could be like, well, where do I even start? But I always try and give people at least an, a suggestion because that can be the beginning of that process. So do you have any suggestions for a, maybe a book about, you know, general health, holistic health that someone might be able to kind of look up on the dreaded Amazon? Yeah, so Paul Check wrote a, a fantastic book called How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a lengthy title, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy by Paul Check, C-H-E-K. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. And it, it, I back you up 100%, really good book. I've got it sitting on my bookshelf. And, and why I'm answering your question with that one specifically is that uh, I was alluding to questionnaires before, and that book takes uh, the reader through questionnaires to find out where their priority is. So you'll come up with uh, some scores that you'll tally, and it'll tell you where you need to prioritize your focus. So you know, if if you have got a lot of things going on, mm. what you'll do with uh, the book will guide you. But you know, with all your high scores, what you'll do with the graph is your priority will be on the left side and you'll work towards the right. I see. Yeah. So it, it lays it out super easy. And, you know, 
if, if you've got everything high, no problem. Just start on the first thing on the left and then work your way along. And the working the way along, you know, that could be, you know, three months down the track, you move on to the next column. And then, you know, two months, you, you go on to the third column, et cetera. Um, and then each chapter is made up of information and practical tools and tips to work on what's a priority in each column because each column relates to a chapter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great place to start. He's got some great references in there too. And I guess it's a, a scratchy territory too, because if if you are dealing with, you know, vegans or vegetarians or people who have a, a certain philosophy, then that book might have a bit of a bias to, you know, its suggestions. So it may not be perfect for everyone but if you can take the take the underlying information and then you know go okay i need to work on this part though i don't like what he's sharing in terms of you know eating meat as an example i'm going to go and find you know a doctor or a specialist on vegan dietary requirements and and seek out a book for that, which is which is fine, and, th- and that's the way you know that that person could use it. Hmm. And I and I think your point there about taking what you personally find resonates with you or might be useful is a really good idea because there's this idea that a book or whatever or a guru or you know whatever we can see because often people like okay this is the one kind of what you were back to talking about earlier about how if I stop eating meat things get better that means all eat, all meat is evil where it's so much more complicated than that so i'll give you a really good example i bought a book i can't remember the title of it and it was about um self management of arthritis now i'm really interested in arthritis and all of the autoimmune conditions because i work with a lot of people now i probably should have read <laughs> maybe the foreword before i bought it because it is essentially a plant-based way to deal with arthritis. Now, I kind of got about 10 pages in and thought, oh, no, this doesn't kind of line up with what I think. But I have forced myself to keep reading it and take out of it what I actually find beneficial, because it isn't just plant-based. That's the author's opinion that plant-based organic food, so there we go, that's one thing which ticks my box, organic is more likely to bring about a positive outcome for someone who's experiencing arthritis than processed foods now again they mention sleep they mention nutrition they mention managing stress these are all things which resonate and i agree with but it doesn't have to be my my knee-jerk reaction was i'm not reading this but I think mm. it doesn't always have to be like that. You don't have to agree with absolutely everything someone says unless, well, you don't have to agree with it, but you don't have to stop reading it. You have, uh, you know, some people are very dogmatic, aren't they? And they're not willing to budge a millimeter about what they have considered. And the problem with vegetarianism, vegetarianism and veganism is it hasn't just stuck with what we inverted commas science or whatever the most recent thinking is, it's become an ideological and ethical thing, which we do not want to open that Pandora's box just yet today on this podcast. So, <laughs> so um, 
The other thing which I and I, I guess the other thing which I did brush on there is if we think about those foundations of health, we talk about movement, nutrition, sleep is obviously a really important one. Actual proper hydration and the quality of the water or the hydration that you're actually getting is really important. And dealing with stress, because we're living in a very stressed world where people aren't really getting that recuperation and regenerative periods of time, which bring about better health. But one thing we've never spoken about, and I thought I'd, you know, end up end up this chat today with you, because I might learn something about you, which would be nice. Is there a part of your life where you focus on or have an interest in things that are creative? So I know that can be such a broad field, but do you have any interest in things like art, painting, music, those sorts of things? Because that's not ever, something I've ever really talked to you about. I I don't with those sorts of things specifically. Mm-hmm. I think uh, my creativity in my personal life is more expressed in my body. Like e- even, you know, I don't know how many, over two decades now I've been in this field and I'm still learning little nuances about my body where mm. I may have learned something, you know, when, when I started out and I didn't fully understand it and now it's come full circle and I've now been able to use it and integrate it. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm feeling so different from, you know, just that little thing that I forgot about or didn't understand at the time. Mm. And I, I guess, you know, that, that creative expression spills over, which is where I started this whole thing with first helping myself in terms of having low back pain when I was younger mm. to oh, that was great. I, I, I'm pain-free. How do I help other people now? And when I learn those little nuggets about myself or uh, I've read something, uh, like I've got a, a course coming up this Friday that, that's a new course, for example. I'm reading the, the book and I'll, I'll get a creative spark from something I've read in the book and then look into the anatomy and apply that with the client. So I'm not sure if you would qualify that as a creative expression but for me yeah I, I feel that that's where my my creative expression does come through is is what what little nuance in the body can be fine-tuned and you know it can just be one little tiny thing that seems insignificant but it, it it's really quite a, a profound little tweak and, and often in, in life it is just the little things that make a you know big difference right exactly and that you know what Peter that was exactly what I was hoping you'd say <laughs> because <Okay>. that's <laughs> what I consider someone like you who is such a broad thinking holistic person actually that's being incredibly creative that's actually be, and that's the thing is I don't know about you is I find the biology the psychology the social the emotional the non-psych all that stuff I find it so interesting and then that means that now I can be creative and learn all these different things and apply it. And like you said, then thinking, how do I help other people with it? Or how can I help someone else? Which is a huge motivating factor. And I think a lot of clinicians can get really bored and it's just the same thing over and over again. But for example, you're doing a course on, um, you said you're starting it on Friday, you're reading the information. At the moment, I'm... Uh, well, I've just become accredited to be a Lego, as in the toy bricks, Lego-focused therapist. 
Nice. So I have that added on the side. That doesn't mean I'm only a Lego occupational therapist, but I've done the accreditation to become someone who can run individual and group sessions. Currently, it's only the accreditation with children, but you can work with adults who have a diagnosis of autism or ADHD or anything like that. Now, that's a personal interest of mine, which I think can really improve the life of other people. But I found the whole course fascinating. Mm. How much better is that to be able to do something fascinating with what you do with your job, if you want to call it a job, interest, maybe, um, and actually continue learning and adding those things into the real world? Because I think a lot of people do training with their work and maybe they think oh, it will be useful. But I guess the biggest buzz I get is knowing that it will help someone at some point. And also means I get to play with bloody Lego for a job, which is good. Hey, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, look, you know, we've still got scientists discovering things about the body and the mind and mm. everything else every day. So for me, it, it keeps me curious. It keeps me hungry and, and, and never bored because, you know, there are these little tweaks and these little, little things that come up that, you know, you can apply and they make a difference in someone's life, as you were saying. And, you know, you've helped someone, which, I mean, you know, if someone's got another job of purpose and they choose to do art, I think that's great too. It's, mm. it's, uh, and I'm sure you'd, you'd agree with this. It's not yeah. to say that, you know, if, if your creative expression isn't adding any kind of purpose or service to anyone, that's not of value. Um, because I think it's, it's also important that if someone has a creative ex ex expression or pursuit, that that's part of, you know, balancing them too, because a lot of people, work a lot nowadays and they don't necessarily have an outlet that helps to balance them out yeah it's it yeah it's one of the most yeah it's yeah it's again because you know we've discussed and people that will be listening to this podcast at one point they will know the whole goal of this for me is to understand and educate everyone but be on a constant quest to see how we can use any different modality whether that's painting whether that's exercise whether that's meditation whether it's literally anything from this incredibly broad spectrum of what we define as occupations in the world of occupational therapy but i'm trying to spread that message to bring about wellness in people it doesn't have to be just taking a medication or having 10 sessions of cbt we can find meaning creative expression in virtually anything and i think that's what's beautiful about the, we're now finding that all these things which were seen as kind of oh, just ridiculous, even if we're talking about something like yoga, right? Go back 30 years ago, yoga. You say that, people would be like, what a bloody hell are you talking about? <laughs> Stretching and breathing. Pff, sounds like bloody hippie bullshit to me. But now we've got the actual solid evidence. And again, the science is the science is never done. I know that. I get that. But now we've got all these things about why things that have been done for thousands of years are actually really beneficial on a physical and mental level. And I think, like you just said, things are always changing. Evidence is always coming out and stuff that we didn't know yesterday or which was brushed off as pointless yesterday. Even something like the, you know, um, gut permeability. It was refused to even be a thing in the allopathic medical world. Mm. But it's quite obvious that it's a thing. So I think that's that's where having an open mind and being able to change things and adjust is really important. 
So, and, and just on that note to add on to it, I, yeah. I think that's another thing too, is that, you know, things that have stood the test of time like yoga mm. have done so for a reason because they have benefits. Yeah. Or, you know, acupuncture or, you know, things like that have, that have not been understood but have got results and have had benefits to people. They've stuck around because they work, even though the science hasn't necessarily come around until recently. Yeah. But, you know, if they didn't, if those things didn't work, they wouldn't still be here. No. <laughs> and I think coming back to your point on stress and holistic health, that the fundamental principles of holistic health are the things that have stood the test of time. Yeah. So, you know, uh, modern agri agriculture has only been around for just over 10,000 years, which in the scheme of human evolution is not very long. And the majority of that time we were eating, you know, what we now refer to as organic food because that was what was just natural. There, there were no pesticides. We weren't spraying fields by, you know, drones or planes or whatever and yeah. using fertilizers and all these other things. So, and as you were saying, I think before the uh, the recording started is, you know, we were out getting sun, sunshine and, you know, back then if if your skin starts to feel like it's getting hot or burnt, you you would likely naturally just get out. You, you'd get under a tree or, you know, behind a rock or in the cave or whatever. And, you know, you just had this natural instinct that, you know, whether it's sunshine or I'm feeling thirsty, I'll have a drink. Whereas we've got to the point where, you know, some people need their watch to tell them to have a drink or to breathe or, you know, whether they've had a good sleep or not. Like we've, I think we've become so out of tune and and lacking our natural instinct by using, you know, biofeedback tools or, you know, if you want to call it biohacking or whatever, that you, we've lost that thing, that, that natural instinct and that drive that has, has stood the test of time that kept us healthy to the point where we're having this conversation right now. Whereas, you know, the reality of modern medicine and 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 this is you know just a general statement because there's good and bad in everything. But we, you know today we've got more more practitioners, more doctors, more therapists, and all these other people who you know take care of and contribute to our health than ever in history. Yet we're the sickest and unhealthiest that we've ever been. Yeah. And when you think about that, that just doesn't make sense. If we've got more people specialising in healthcare, we should be the healthiest, if anything. I agree. So, you know, those natural yeah. things that we've done, you know, for millennia, they've stood the test of time, which is the simple things, you know, having quality food, having quality water, having quality sleep, getting sunshine for vitamin D, which has, you know, innumerable benefits, immune function, et cetera, and uh, moving, which in their case would have just been, you know, just living. Yeah. And um, <laughs> wasn't going to the gym. It was just living. Exactly. And then uh, and then managing stress, which, you know, for them would have been quite a natural thing, too, that they they had a threat. The threat was gone and then they were they were calm again. Mm. And, and, and hopefully we're breathing properly, too. Yeah, I've actually got a really good because your point about, um, you know, what's now being described as and I don't know if you when you hear this term, you might roll your eyes. I do. I'm like uh, as if as if there was any reality that wasn't connected you know the mind body connection i'm often like how was there any idea that it wasn't 
there wasn't the mind body and then you know because it's a two-way path isn't it the body and the mind and the brain they all communicate together there's an integrated system of systems etc as opposed to the body mind disintegration yeah but there's a really good book here that i have just brought up on my ipad on my kindle uh app and it's called body sense the science and practice of embodied self-awareness by someone by the name of alan fogel and okay. the seminal well, seminal the very very well respected uh i think she's a psychologist pat ogden who is one of the people that works with someone people such as bessel van der kolk peter levine stephen porges etc um and it's got a little quote here from Pat Ogden on the front page it says readable, wise, lucid, simple and engaging. And the whole book, well, as much as I read, is all about understanding how we've become so detached from our self-awareness of our body through social and environmental factors and psychological factors as well. So. Again, to chuck another book in, I will put the link into the show notes, but that jumped to my mind because it goes into how we're almost entrained from childhood to ignore how our body feels and are, you know, for example, being told to sit down and be quiet as a child. Children need movement and to express themselves, but from a very early age in many um education systems they're told to sit down be quiet and not move and for those that don't know or haven't heard of it rudolf steiner developed a schooling system which yeah. incorporates movement as the the big part of their their first formative years of their schooling yeah in a, it's all about play and going back to you talking about creativity you know uh, they're developing the right side of the brain first before the left side of the brain where they're getting them to read and write and things. Hmm. And uh, for those that might dispute that, that there's been a lot of research looking at these people and comparing them when they're older, that their IQ and their happiness and their success in life is higher than those who haven't been trained or schooled in the Steiner system. Hmm. And if you then translate that into adulthood, if we're then linking that to the creative expression, cr true creative expression is a form of play as an adult, whatever form it may take. But actually the learning that you can get in a state of calm, a state of flow, you know, Mihai Chitsen Mihai's flow state stuff, that is where you really learn new things. And if we're then talking about transferable, you know, if we're talking about motor skills, uh, you know, the motor system, how that's linked to the sensory system. The sensory and motor system is all linked in together and doing things repetitively, but at a state where it's enjoyable is really how we learn to do things. And actually, in all the neuroscience now about how learning to do things which are challenging and actually are difficult to do, whether it could be playing an instrument, learning to sing better, um, going and doing a training course where you're reading a whole book about it learning how to do Lego therapy, um, <laughs> doing all these things, that's actually how you keep your brain, not always, again, there's the other factors, but that's actually how you can keep as many neurons and synapses going and create new pathways. So as you get older, you've got much more synapses and neurons linked together, which has been linked to potentially being much more able to deal with the 
potential challenges, again, there's many other factors, to cognitive decline. So I love the fact you mentioned that because there's so much to creative expression and learning and play and all that sort of stuff. And I think we're now we're now just at an hour and I'm like, I need to get you back on and we'll just talk about the power of play because <laughs> it's so true. So true. Well, you, you, just, just hearing you say that, it just made me think of another spin on creativity, which is, you know, going uh, to my answer to your question about mm. what I do for creative expression. I, I think another spin that's coming around, I know this is probably a debatable uh, topic to bring up, but you know, just just being yourself, learning how to be yourself can be a creative creative expression. And and the, uh, what I was alluding to there about a debatable thing is that you know there's all this uh, expression nowadays for for individualism or individualism individualism within like a tribal structure. Whether it's uh, I don't know if you've heard of the term furries. No, where where, pe- where where people identify as an animal? Oh yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, I have heard that. Yep. Yeah, so there, there's these kids who you know they're identifying as a cat, like you know people identify as mm. a you know whatever in, in their sexuality, and, and now they're identifying as you know a wolf or a bear or a dog or a cat or whatever. And mm. the the point of bringing that up, which is the debatable part, is I, I think that that this is this is a way that I think for some reason that people are getting into a way of trying to find themselves through a creative expression or pursuit such as that Mm. or or the way they dress or, you know, identify, et cetera. I think it's, it's, you know, as you said, we've become so numb to feeling what is instinctual and natural the way we grew up that we've now come to the point where I, I, I guess we've gone to, you know, these sorts of, uh, for lack of a better word, extremes, you know, outside of what was just natural and fundamental that seems so basic that people don't do the basics and they've gone to some level of extreme to try and get back to the basic, if that makes sense. 100%. This is a really interesting subject, actually, because I find this sort of stuff about individuality, self-expression, because again, the flip side of that is then the what's referred to as the neoliberal way of looking at things, that it's all about the individual and that everyone's given the I mean, neoliberal politics is often everyone's given the same opportunities. So if you don't make it, then tough shit. But that's again, that's just one part of that idea. I think individuality, I think being able to express yourself as a person without having to conform or follow a specific, very rigid, and I think the last couple of years of, without going too deeply into this, but this groupthink mentality, this way that everyone must do exactly this, otherwise you are against everyone else. And it becomes very tribalistic. But individual thought, individual expression, being able to step back from the common narrative in relation to anything is essential to true democracy, whatever that actually is, and also individuality. We should not all be thinking the same because we've been told to think the same. And I think that's where art and creativity and music and books and all these things are such an essential part of society and the human race in general, because it's the most, um, and philosophy, 
all those things which are creative because they are stepping outside of a rigid, solid way of looking at the human condition, the world, the universe. And actually, that's how I personally think we've made so much progress, because we have that power to be incredibly broad thinking and be creative about what we do. So it's. And and I think that's been a a real slow burn, too, that, you know, we've had slavery, we've had, you know, uh, women don't work. Uh, women don't have rights and can't vote, all these sorts of things that have taken such a long time to come around Yeah, where, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans mm. and, you know, we've drawn artificial lines on maps to create borders and definitions which, which then define us into different, you know, religions or cultures or identities. And I was listening to a podcast this morning on that note where, you know, the guy brought up the point that, we're all the same race. We're all Africa, and you know, in terms of coming out of Africa and then you know spreading out and evolving. Yeah. And I thought I hadn't heard that before. And you know, not to define it as African, but again, you know, we're all humans. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't think it even needs to be defined as you know African. You know, if we if we did all in fact come out of Africa, like it's you know the evidence is shown. But you know, we're we're all humans, and I think you know going back to your point is that we. We can all be the same in terms of humans, but have different creative expression of being a human. Yeah. It, it, and again, that's the thing, isn't it? If you don't think in a broad... One thing I find so inspiring is people that have trained as traditional medical allopathic... I listened to a really good podcast with a guy. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast Mad in America. Um, no, I haven't heard of that one. It's a really, really good one because it's all about more... It's basically people challenging the medical model of mental health and psychiatry, which I find fascinating. Did, did you say did you say made in America or mad? Mad. 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 Okay. Because it's also the guy who hosts it wrote a book called Sedated. So the title is Sedated. And I think it's okay. how modern modern capitalism ugh, how modern capitalism created our mental health crisis. Interesting. It's a very, and I'll put all these in the show notes. I know I say that, but there's so many, and it's a fascinating bit. And also the podcast. And the reason why I mentioned it, there was a psychiatrist who was working, I think it was in the Northern Territory of Australia. So people that don't know Australia's geography, the Northern Territory is a huge, huge part of Australia. I think the biggest state is it, Northern Territory? I think. But I, I think so, yeah. Um, and he was a psychiatrist that worked, I think it was like a 10-hour drive or something from Perth. So deep, deep, maybe that was WA then. Anyway, whatever. He was very deep in kind of a remote, and there was a lot of people of Indigenous Australian background. And the duty of care, if someone became or appeared or displayed the symptoms of psychosis, they would be transported to Perth, no matter their cultural background, to a traditional allopathic mental health psychiatric ward now complex that is because again even just the difference in language and traditions is huge just between people of indigenous background different tribes different areas of australia because that's the thing there isn't just one type of indigenous person just as there isn't just one type of anglo-aussie person or whatever and this psychiatrist he pushed for people to remain in their local areas and be cared for by community and was having amazing, amazing outcomes for these people. 
until mm. he left that position and then they just switched straight back into people get transported to Perth. And I said, that's, I think it was a 10 hour drive. So you can imagine that's not someone's culture. That's not this kind of more Western culture where you'll shift from one city to another in the same country and it kind of all feels the same. Indigenous people have true solid connections to the land and language and all these things. And I just found it a fact. I'll actually send you the link after this because it's a really good episode. Well, I guess that's an example of me uh, answering your question about Bondi, that, you know, I don't vibe with Bondi. And I guess, you know, uh, a tribal person in the Northern Territory might not vibe with Perth, you know, in the, yeah. in the Northern Territory for a reason. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and, pers- personally, I, I, I've, got, I've got some very long-term dear friends who live in Bondi. They love it. Fair play to them. Uh, but it's not my sort of area either. So that doesn't that doesn't mean I hate Bondi. No, it just it's not, means not that, a judgment. It's just yeah. it's like I don't like cucumber. I'm not judging cucumber, but I just don't like it. <laughs> Anti cucumber. I don't vibe with it. <laughs> well, on that note, I know we could go on forever because I always love our conversations. Um, but if someone's uh, in the Bondi-ish area <laughs> or wherever, how can they? You know, if they did want to refer themselves, if they want that more holistic, broad way of looking at their musculoskeletal health, but also all the other stuff which we've discussed today, or they're looking for an alternative because maybe they've gone to a clinician, they've been given just some stretching exercises and it's still not great, or they want a different viewpoint. How can people get in contact with you? Uh, like the book I was recommending, my, my name's on the long side too, so <laughs> you can include this in your show notes or a link, but it's theintegrativehealthcoach.com.au. I'm just writing it down. I know I will listen to this when I'm editing it, but I'm just writing it down. The Integrative Health Coach. Did you say .com.au? That's right, yeah. And I I, I put some videos and uh, a few things on Instagram, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't go on the thing and I don't do social media. So, Well, I don't blame you. That's something we didn't even get anywhere near, did we? The wonders of um, all the horrors of social media and how that's affecting the human brain and psyche and whatever. But that's uh, that. Maybe that's for a later episode. So and thanks. again, not not a judgment. It's just no. not my vibe. And um, uh, you just had me uh, thinking of something. I just lost it. Didn't come back. <laughs> You're probably, as we uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, like a drug or a, a whatever, it's important that you use the thing rather than be used by it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not to say that it's bad, though no. it, it can be unhelpful when it, it takes control of you. And if anyone's seen uh, the social dilemma, the, the people who, you know, wrote the algorithms and and the software for these sorts of platforms uh, expose and tell you that it was designed to keep you hooked to it. Yeah. Uh, which which at that point it's using you rather than you using it, and I think that's an important thing for people to, uh, if they've got the going back to the cognitive ability, to uh, recognize that they're doing it, and then to you know cap their screen time or you know whatever they need to do, but uh, just ensure, I guess, that they're they're mindful that they're using it rather than, you know, get, getting to that point where they've gone down a rabbit hole and they were totally unconscious of it. That's that's the device or the platform then using you. Yeah, and I think it's 
and I know you said we said we were going to finish, but one, I'll try and just I'll try and but when I when I go through because I often get public transport intentionally, even though I have a car, because I like I like navigating cities via public transport because it gives me an opportunity to walk around, stand up, all these things, actually learn a bit about a new city. I find it really important. But one of the things was a nice little contribution to get another car off the street as well. Yeah, exactly. And actually I walk to the train station. And then I stand at the platform. And when I'm on the train, I don't sit down. So it's given me more functional reasons. Actual, as like, I'll often go and visit clients, even though it takes me longer to, than to drive. Because one of my pet peeves is sitting in traffic, mm. just sitting there thinking, I'm me and thousands of other people in a very close proximity were just sitting here pumping toxic fumes into the environment. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, that going through a train station on a train, and everyone on the platform is glued to their phones and there's maybe yeah, everyone's hit, head down right <laughs> yeah and everyone and i'm the only person who's probably on the train that isn't looking at their, their phone and i just look mm. around and just think every now and again i maybe catch the there's someone else who's not looking at their phone and i maybe catch their i'm <laughs> we catch eyes with each other and it's almost like we we're, <laughs> we're the remaining few who don't constantly look at our phones <laughs> It's almost like, oh, you're a human, not a robot. <laughs> yeah. And also then the thing is, is that I then have the urge to get my phone out to take a photo of everyone on their phone. But then I think, well, that's <laughs> just as bad. So anyway, I could go on forever. So thanks so much for spending the time with me. It's been really insightful. And I think we've covered lots of topics and I'll make sure to put everything that we've mentioned in the show notes. So thanks so much. And um, yeah, I'm just going to stop recording. Thank you, Gavin. No worries. It was a pleasure. Okay, so as you can see, anytime Peter and I talk, we definitely go into a lot of different interrelated but varied subjects, which is why I love the conversations I have with Peter. So thanks to him for talking with me and yeah, discussing these variety of subjects. Wizard OT is currently starting the world's first ever street art slash graffiti focused therapy service. At the moment, we are providing one-to-one and group sessions in Melbourne, which is in Australia. Also online one-to-one and group sessions. So if that sounds of interest and you think, oh, street art graffiti, I wonder what that could be. If you want further information, you can just check us out on Instagram. So that's wizard underscore OT on Instagram. And there's some more info or visit the website www.wizardot.com. And all this will be in the show notes. If you're liking this podcast, if you're finding it of interest, I know it's only episode four thus far, but share it, you know, give us a rating in Spotify, do all the things you can do to spread this word to other people, because I really do want to spread as much knowledge and information to help people as humanly possible so anyway there'll be another episode in say a week's time and yeah just keep listening and uh thanks for tuning into wizard ot podcast see you soon Mm -hmm.